From field to table and flame to fork, the pursuit of the outdoor connection is ingrained deep within one's spirit. The draw to the flame of a campfire is felt from around the world. Why do we hunt? Pull up a seat. We have a story to tell. Welcome to our campfire. Into the double digits once again with episode 11 of the Campfire Conversations. JP, how is it going, my friend? It's going well. Yeah, I'm, uh, well, I got the day off today and I'm heading up to my cabin after this for a couple of days of fishing. So I'm pretty darned happy. So we should run this out as long as possible and keep you away from doing that? Yeah, that's right. We'll have like a three-hour intro here. <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure our listeners would love that. Yeah, so sure. this is, I say it about all our episodes, but this is fun. I really like this. Chris and Steph, great people. May have heard of them. They're loving off the land on all the social channels. Basically, last year, they decided to do exactly what the name entitles and implies and live off the land. They have a property on Pender Island in the Gulf Islands off the coast of Vancouver Island. And they they took it upon themselves to, to challenge and only live off of things that they hunt, gather, grow, catch. So seafood, uh, we get into the spot prawns and how I love those things and <laughs> what's, what's good to grow and why they chose to do it. So I, I thought it was a lot of fun getting to know them a little bit. I've followed them for almost, almost a year now and yeah, roll into year two for them. So what do you think? Well, I was really impressed. You know, I, I, I have had the fantasy of living more off the land than I do. And I think a lot of people have, you know, especially since COVID, because I think COVID has, as is discussed in the in the podcast has uh revealed some of the potential supply chain issues we have with with the foods and things we just take for granted and uh but anyway the the fact that they actually you know thought about trying to live off the land as much as possible and then did it i mean that's amazing most people think about it but never gets past that point uh so yeah total respect for these two i think what they're doing is amazing and inspiring oh yeah the, they're they're continuing to do it. That's the crazy part, right? A lot of people talk about, oh, I'm going to grow my own garden. But they, they, uh, as we get into, they, they're getting funny looks in the grocery store because people are kind of holding them accountable to uh, what they're doing and they're only buying toiletries. But yeah, I, t- I totally thought it was a, a great, a great conversation and inspiring, right? For those that uh, want to do it, it, it's doable. It's attainable with the, uh, some 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 basic knowledge so you want to go to your cabin or what well i think so yeah i'll uh you know that that's the extent of my living off the land is my my foraging and hunting and fishing um but i still go to the grocery store way more often than i should and uh uh or i don't know maybe not more often than i should but a whole lot more than they do and uh man i i have to say uh i you know they what, what they've done it, is 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 amazing and uh, what i'm going to do on my boat is catch fish but i'm also going to have a bag of doritos i'll be munching on and uh <laughs> you know so yeah yeah they've they've gone in all they're they're definitely in the deep end oh definitely and as i said i'm quite envious of the way they were able to, to jump in both feet and not only embrace the lifestyle but thrive on it and seem to really enjoy it there was a lot of laughs and some big smiles so Go to your cabin. This is episode 11 of the Campfire Conversations. Enjoy. The perception of hunting, you know, has changed. It's our duty now, our responsibility as hunters, to change it back. We've spent the last few decades trying, you know, espousing that that message, preaching that message about wildlife conservation. You know, it's fallen on deaf ears, all of our attempts. I think what, what we have to do is, is maybe uh, appeal to the emotional side or the visceral side. We have to tell our story. We know what we are. We know how deeply we care about wildlife. It's just the people out there that are, that are you know, voting to get rid of hunting, they don't understand our stories. Sometimes we, we have to translate it to something that they understand. 
Chris, Steph, thank you so much for coming on. This is going to be a fun-filled episode. How are you guys doing? We're doing great. Yeah. yeah. Thanks for having us on. Yeah. Oh, this, this, I followed you guys for quite a while now. As I, I said to you in the email, I'm like, oh, wow, got to connect. So yeah. it, it's weird to kind of see you in, we'll call it a face to face, but instead of YouTube and talking to the camera, but still kind of talking to the camera, but not really. Yeah. <laughs> so let, let's dig into you guys a little bit. For those that don't know, uh, tell us a little bit about you. Who are you and where are you from? Yeah, we're uh, Chris and Steph and living here on Pender Island in the Gulf Islands. And uh, about a year and a half ago, uh, when COVID hit, um, it kind of put things in perspective to us. We're on a small island and some things kind of got cut off a bit with supply chains and grocery stores were running out of, you know, things like flour and sugar and things like that and stupid items like toilet paper as well. And uh, it just started to put things in perspective on how reliant we are you know, on corporations and, and companies to provide us with food, like our most basic need. And, um, you know, just had a random conversation one day, like, what would we do if we were totally cut off if things get worse? And could we survive? And we're kind of on the ocean. And we thought it would be uh, a fun challenge to see if we could only survive on eating what we catch, grow or raise for an entire year. So we started that and started up a YouTube channel, Loving Off the Land to document it. And with little to no experience, dove in and kind of went for it. <laughs> I, I love that way you just say when when things got stupid and people were grabbing toilet paper. What yeah. I'm up in Prince George, right in the interior, and we were having people do the same thing. It it really was weird in uh, how people follow what the next person is doing, and they have no yeah. real reason for it. Like last year, I I was with my my daughter, and I said, "Watch this," and I said quite loudly in Costco. Did you hear there's going to be a cinnamon shortage? And I grabbed two <laughs> things of cinnamon and literally the half dozen people around me went <gasps> and they each went and grabbed one. They had no reason why. It's just. Oh. And how, yeah. often, how often do people use cinnamon? Yeah. Right? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. It was just, it was just something funny to see yeah. how, how people would kind of follow a trend and they did, but mm -hmm. I, I totally envy that. Like <laughs> I, I grew up on the mainland, so I, I know all about the Gulf islands. And for those that don't know, I know where Pender Island is. Where is it? How big is it? And uh, kind of describe the, the lifestyle there. Yeah. So um, we are obviously on Pender. We have about 20 or 2,500 uh, year round residents um, kind of doubles in the summer with people coming to their summer homes. It's kind of a nice spot to vacation um it's quite a small town feel you kind of know everyone because it's it's such a low population um yeah people it's funny as being a, such a small town to poo people always go like oh how do you know you didn't like cheat on your <laughs> on your challenge and how do you wait on like i think we walked into like the, the pub the one pub one time to like have a glass of water meet up with a friend who was visiting from out of town and like 15 people came up to us. We're like, what are you doing in here? You can't we be in can, here. And can. they yeah. <laughs> grocery store, if we go and buy, like, because we don't, we still buy toiletries, like right. paper and soap and that kind of stuff. Um, we'll go in there and people will be like checking our cart to make sure that we didn't like sneak something in there. And it's like, no, like, <laughs> we have no way. <laughs> Yeah, the, the the fun time of living under the public eye is you're 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 kind of under a microscope, right? Everybody knows everybody's business, that's yeah. for sure. So especially there. So you guys aren't allowing yourself any of the uh, staples that you can't grow, like uh, sugar, salt, that sort of thing. You're you're doing all that on your own. So yeah, the first year we did everything on our own. We grew our flour, we got our salt from the ocean, um, did literally everything. Uh, but this year we kind of made an allowance for flour because it, it does take up so much room in our garden and the yield is so low that it just um, wasn't really fitting that self-sufficient like long-term lifestyle. Um, so for now we are we are buying flour uh, for this year, but last year it was everything was from our own property. Yeah, I think one of your most popular videos is how to make the sea salt. Yeah, like that, that was pretty cool. Like when I was when I was a kid, we had a, a cabin in Powell River. So nice. yeah, I know I know what it's like to, to get a mouthful of sea salt accidentally. <laughs> we never <laughs> it's like, oh, damn, you can't drink this and playing in the tide pools. So yeah. yeah, it's 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 a lifestyle, especially if you love the ocean. So did are you guys from Pender Island or where did you guys come from? 
Yeah, from from the mainland. So um, yeah, I grew up in in the city in Kitsilano and, and stuff from Abbotsford. So uh, okay. I was definitely a city boy growing up, and <laughs> yep. and uh, we actually used to come on vacation at um, Pender as kids, which is why I fell in love with it and ended up here. But um, yeah, I think we were definitely both more more city people. So I didn't grow up on a farm, didn't have experience with any of this kind of stuff. So it's definitely been a, a big lifestyle change from the way we grew up. That's crazy. Yeah. I grew up in Vancouver and uh, I got uh, pretty, pretty sick of the rat race about 15 years ago and moved to Prince George. I'm like, yeah, you know what? When it's taking me 45 minutes to an hour to go 11 K in a straight line, I'm, I'm done. Yeah. yeah. Now to go from one side of town to the other here in the, in the snow, it's, 20 minutes yeah it's, it's not bad so yeah yeah and if you like the outdoors and uh kind of being a little more self-sufficient like hunting fishing foraging like this is the type of place to do it so totally. I, I i totally like i said it before i'm envious of what you guys are doing so you, you moved to pender island how long ago roughly um, I've been here for seven years now, almost eight yeah. and seven years, three, three, yeah. three years. Yeah. Just oh. three. Oh, wow. So yeah. you, you've, you've been there three and one of them is, <laughs> <laughs> guess what? Off the yeah, I've been here like a year and I roped her into this thing. So I know. <laughs> just, uh, you're, you're stuck now. Yeah. That's awesome. So what did you do for your previous careers? Um, we both worked at the, there's a resort on the Island here. So we okay. both have, um, met at that resort. So I'd worked there since I moved over and, and Steph moved over um, for her job. And and that's kind of where we met. So both worked in hospitality and oh, okay. high stress uh, busy with all the tourists coming. So yeah. yeah, been there when I moved to PG, I uh, was actually recruited to be one of the managers of one of the manager hotels up here to kind of give them a lifestyle change and a wake up call. So yeah, yeah I, I know what you're talking about when you say uh, high stress. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's politically correct to say that, right? There's something <laughs> yeah. you can't say and be recorded. That's a nice way to about. say it, yeah. yeah. That's right. That's awesome. So we, we touched a little bit about loving off the land and what inspired you. So let's dig a little bit deeper into it. Uh, what was the true driver? Was it COVID or was it the way people uh, were just hoarding or how did that go? How did that uh, play out? Yeah, I think um, COVID was something that like really opened our eyes to it. Um, we're on like a small island. So if things went bad, we would probably be the first people to see those effects. Like we would be um, kind of last on that that chain. Um, so I think that was when we were like, we are more vulnerable than um, the mainland or uh, big cities. So I think that kind of first took it into perspective and then Chris kind of came to me with this wild idea and I thought he was kidding for probably the first <laughs> week that he wouldn't stop talking about it <laughs> and then finally I was like oh, okay he's serious about this and uh, I can't really live with someone that's doing this and not participate so <laughs> it's either I join or don't <laughs> you make it sound like such an ultimatum <laughs> So how long did you how long did you have to sleep on the couch? <laughs> still sleeping. It was yeah, summer. I can be outside sometimes. <laughs> uh, that's that's amazing. So, what what uh, had, had you had any experience in the outdoors? You say you're a city guy before and city girl before. What was your outdoor experience like? Just or did you just say you know what I'm going to jump in both feet? Yeah, I think like a, not totally no experience. I mean, I've kind of been on the water here and done fishing and crabbing and prawning. So definitely had some some experience on the ocean, which is obviously a huge help and was a big factor um, in what we're doing, you know, compared to other homesteaders, um, you know, who won't have access to salt and things like that. Being on the ocean just gave us such an advantage, um, you know, not growing things through the winter or we actually were able to grow some things, but not growing much through the winter, having seaweed as something we could add into our diets and all those kind of advantages. So um, yeah, I had some experience on the water and had a very basic garden going for the four or five years before we started, but it was kind of a hobby garden with your, you know, cucumbers, carrots, lettuce, kale kind of thing. Um, but yeah, birds and chickens, ducks, pigs, all that stuff was brand new and a learning curve and growing all the things that we grow now is uh, yeah, it's been a big challenge, but really rewarding at the same time. Yeah. 
I would think that, sorry, Steve, I would think that if you're going to pick a spot to be self-sufficient somewhere on the West Coast, where you have access to the water makes the most sense because of the uh, productivity of the ocean. Now, what what percentage of your diet was from the ocean, would you say, or still is? Ooh, good question. I, I think it's really seasonal. Yeah. I think like, I mean, obviously with uh, the fishing regulations and things like that, you know, you get salmon and stuff that's only open for a month or two in the summer, depending on the type. And, you know, ling cod don't open up till first to next month and things like that. So a lot of it's based on that. Um, seaweed, we don't really eat a lot of in the summer because we have so many fresh vegetables. But in the winter, we kind of relied on that more. But overall, you know, including salt, seaweed, shellfish, everything, probably... 50. No, like 25, 25%, maybe 20, 25%. So fairly significant say, for sure. I could say I'm jealous of that. I love seeing yeah. That's the one thing I miss about being up here is the seafood. Yeah. yeah. I think, yeah, when people first heard what we were doing, I think they thought we were crazy and we were going to be like eating grass from our garden. But then they started to see like these nice prawn dinners and crab cakes yep. and all these like cool things that we were doing. And they're like, oh, okay. I can do that. Yeah, some people are like, you're eating better than we are right <laughs> yeah. now. Like, yeah. Oh, definitely. I've, I've seen some of the videos and went, oh my God, spot prawns? Come on. <laughs> Just yeah, jealous. Like, yeah. it's, 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 uh, it's definitely something I can imagine is not for everybody. And uh, how did your family take it? <laughs> I think there was a lot of doubt at the beginning. I think we definitely had some some family and friends with bets on how long it would last and yeah, yeah. how long before one of us caved or we had enough of each other and got fighting and stuff but uh yeah yeah no i think now that we've we've done it there everyone kind of thinks it's cool and they're on board and Mm -hmm. helping out and supportive so yeah it's great yeah my dad is a big hunter fisher so he was like you can't (laughs) you're not gonna do that and then um i don't know maybe like three months in and He's like, okay, you're doing it. Wow, mm-hmm. good job. That's kind of my goal or my dream. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's kind of brought that out in a lot of people and encouraged some friends and family to start their own vegetable gardens and mm-hmm. um, go forage for mushrooms and just look at more sustainable options. So I think for that, we're really lucky. I can see JP's eyes light up when you said forage for mushrooms. <laughs> <laughs> That's his jam. Yeah. We actually yeah. just had a conversation the other day. Was it? Yesterday or two days ago, JP? With, uh, uh, two days ago? Yeah, it was Wednesday night, I think. With, uh, uh, as, he, as he called him, a mushroom foraging guru. So I, I'm completely new to mushroom foraging. I go, okay, that's a shaggy mane or <laughs> that's a morel and that's about it. So when you talk mushroom foraging, that's JP's thing. But we're both, we're both hunters and uh, totally get that connection to the landscape that... Uh, we all seem to share no matter whereabouts you live, right? If, if you truly want to live off the land, you need to connect to your food. And whether it's growing a simple uh, potato garden, because that's my my thing. I set it and forget it type thing. I, I can't grow peas or beans or anything. Just It just doesn't work. Even though my neighbor right over the fence can grow them eight feet tall using the same <laughs> seeds. He uses the same seeds because he hands them to me and he brings over the soil from and we split it. Same containers. I just... I, I don't get it. So and you torture watching his stuff all summer. <laughs> oh, I can I can look out my window and go, okay, I can see your greenhouse. I can see your <laughs> your irrigated t- t- tubs and looking at mine, and they're just they're pathetic looking. It's I, but th- there's nothing more demeaning when he kind of sticks his head over the fence, like uh, in Home Improvement. The neighbor uh, <laughs> looks his head over and he goes, "You just see this go back," and he comes over again ten minutes later and goes. You want some carrots? <laughs> yeah. That's yes, good. I do. <laughs> it's a good thing I'm not living off the land, right? I've, I've got a full freezer of moose meat and, and stuff like that. But veggies, we, we don't get along. It's Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, you, got stuff to, you got stuff to trade then, though. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So, you guys, as far as, you know, this endeavor you've you've engaged in, what what has been easier than you thought it would be and what has been more difficult? Oh, good question. Yeah, I think when I we first went into this, I was like, oh my goodness, we're going to fight all the time. We're not going to get along. We're not going to get through it. Like, we're a pretty new couple when we started it. I think we were dating for maybe a year, just over a year. And I was like, this is going to be the true test. And oh. honestly, we got along pretty well. There were some times where I was definitely 
hangry and (laughs) a little bit moody, but for the most part, we've just learned so much about each other. And um, yeah, it was kind of surprising how, Mm -hmm. how easily it was to work together and, and learn about each other. Well, that would be a trial by fire relationship test to to engage (laughs) like that day in, day out. And, and uh, cause I can imagine they're, you know, such a break from your normal life would, uh, you know, bring out some new aspects of yourself even, right? Totally, yeah. Definitely, yeah. Learning tons about well, each other. And-, and and we're both working from home now, so we're, like, right together 24 hours a day pretty much doing <laughs> this as well, which puts uh, the extra pressure on, too. But uh, oh, yeah. I don't know, yeah. that part went well. And I think um, the most difficult thing was probably, this, like, the monotony of it. Like, you kind of get in the habit of eating the same thing. So, like... Mm-hmm. We'll go, oh, you're so lucky. You could have, you know, crab every night. But like when other things aren't in season and you're not eating that much when you're eating crab for 20 days in a row, it sounds really spoiled and horrible to say, yeah. but you kind of get tired of it when you yeah. don't have the variety of spices to put with it. And you know, we didn't have flour to make with it. Yeah, we didn't have butter to like dip it in. So you're like all these kind of things add up and it, mm-hmm. it gets a little monotonous. So I think that was definitely the the hardest part. So this year we're really trying to expand on the variety of things that we're growing and raising and and harvesting and coming up with new ways to cook things. So, yeah, when you, when you cook a little bit without spice, which I've done accidentally a few times when I forgot to bring things out in the bush, uh, makes you realize why the spice trade dominated global travel for centuries, right? Because I mean, totally. spices are so important. Yeah, totally. Yeah. yeah, yeah. They make all the difference. It can make not so great food taste pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's the little things that people wouldn't think of, right? Yeah. They they automatically go, okay, yeah, I can grow a garden or I can take some turkeys or I can take some chickens and well, guess what? You, you want pepper on your eggs? Yep. Ain't happening. Yeah. I'm going to put some fresh or some milk into my coffee or my tea. Well, guess what? Not unless it's coming from your yeah. own. It's just totally it's yeah. little tiny things. Like and the other thing that uh, you touched on right there that a lot of people wouldn't even take into consideration is the type of relationship you got to have with the person you're spending the time with right because it's it's not as simple as getting up turning on the tv and uh popping a pizza in the oven right you got to yeah. get up and you actually got to work for your food yeah and, and do the dishes together cook together yeah. clean together yeah now, do you guys have like a sort of segregated duties have you guys figured out a system like you do one thing like chris does one thing stuff you do something else and that's just sort of your job or because i you know growing i grew up on a farm and and we were reasonably self-sufficient although we didn't take it nearly the extreme that you guys have and uh uh you know there's a lot to do right so you can't do everything i mean having two people is far better than one but how do you how do you sort out who does what yeah i think um chris is definitely a very energetic person so he ends up taking on a lot of the (laughs) the roles and um uh but we kind of switch off quite a bit like i i'd say like if he lets the chickens out in the morning i'll put them at to bed at night or if he cooks I'll clean or vice versa and um, if he's planting one thing then I'll go and plant something else it's been very um I don't of, know, day by flowed, day and though, flowed yeah. and yeah. and seeing the needs um just kind of picking up the slack and that kind of thing so yeah I wouldn't say we have very des- designated, designated jobs, no, but, but um yeah, I think we're just very thoughtful of what needs to get done. Chris loves to make lists at night <laughs> of everything that needs to be done for the next day. So, yeah. <laughs> so uh, part of it drives me nuts, but the other part of me, like we get so much more done. Because mm-hmm. so. Yeah, I'm I'm a I'm a list maker. It's <laughs> if I think of it, it's got to be done the next day. Onto my desk it goes. I've always got a pen in so my hand. Because uh, he'll like write a list and then he'll put things that he's already done on it just so he can like <laughs> <laughs> feels good to cross yeah. them off yeah, yeah. Uh, like that like that with cross off <laughs> yeah <laughs> that two days ago no <laughs> but like just needed that day i'm the same thing i when i'm packing for a trip i'll make lists and if i already have it packed i'll still write it down then immediately cross it off and yeah i'm not really sure why but it's it's somehow <laughs> a little bit more satisfying to, to have that on on my list well, that way, you know, you haven't forgot it. It's like, okay, I've packed yeah. it. I've acknowledged that I've packed it. And then I'll even, I'll, I'll, I'll go through my list. Like when I was going coming down to your place, I'll say that I need 
socks, shirts, etc. And as they go into the bag, I will cross them off. And then once the bag is packed, I will write down bag. So I remember to bring that on the trip, right? Because well, that, that would suck, right? It's little things. It's 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 a guy thing. It's a guy thing as well. <laughs> Thanks for the support, guys. Appreciate that. Yeah. We got yeah, you. we're on we're on your side there with that. <laughs> I got a qu- another question for you guys. Um, you're talking about going to the grocery store and people looking into your carts. Now that you've been being producing the vast majority of your own food, like you just do catching or growing or raising, uh, when you go to the grocery store and you look at the abundance of basically every conceivable thing a person could want, like has your perception of that changed? Now that you like, because I mean, for me, you know, when I go to the grocery store. I just go to the grocery store, get all the stuff I need and go home. I don't really think about how amazing it is that everything in our society for the most part, I mean, COVID did disrupt things a bit with supply chain issues, but for the most part, whatever we want, whenever we want it, we just go get it, right? At the average, at least average person in North America. Um, like to to not do that, that's a fundamental shift. Like how do you, like when you go into the grocery store now, what do you, how do you view things? I think it's, it's, yeah, it's very differently, to be honest, just, you know, growing up as a kid, like I said, I think we both grew up in pretty privileged lifestyles. So you walk into the grocery store and you see a pack of chicken and you go, okay, that's a chicken breast. And you, I mean, you know, but you almost don't associate that with a living animal. It's just a piece of meat that's in a package and you pick it up and you don't think about it. It's out of sight, out of mind. And you don't have to think about it. This thing was alive. Somebody else had to cook, like mm-hmm. kill it. Somebody else had to butcher it. Um, so I think that's a big aspect for us in the grocery store. Um, and then, yeah, like you said, the seasonality of things and, you know, getting strawberries in December and you go, how the hell are the strawberries here in December? And you're like, oh, they're shipped from halfway around the world that have come on a plane or a cargo crate or whatever it is. And the effort that must have gone in to getting them here. Mm-hmm. you know, because we live a kind of spoiled lifestyle where we just want strawberries year round rather than, you know, freezing them, preserving them, doing all those things that people would do in the old days. So. Yeah. I yeah. think uh, after we finished the first year, it was kind of a shock to see um, because there has been a price jump in the last two years, obviously. And we weren't looking at that um, day by day. We really didn't see it for a whole year. So to see those um, prices one year later, it was kind of like, Oh wow. Like, things are getting kind of expensive at the grocery store too. It's another reason why we enjoy this journey. And, um, but also like looking at a pack of chicken and being like, I know how much work went into doing that and raising them and then butchering them and all that kind of stuff. I see where that price comes from, but at the same time, it's like, that's insane. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's a perfect segue into the Turkey video. Yeah. <laughs> Perfect segue. That was a popular one, yeah. yeah. It, it it was. I, I sent it to JP and just said, watch this. Because like I said, we're hunters and, and we we discussed it. There's there's something a little bit distant about taking an animal with a rifle mm-hmm. and the way you guys did it and did I've I've uh, uh killed chickens before up close and so is jp and so we we immediately were able to go gotcha know where you're coming from so was was that the first animal other than fish that you guys had had uh, killed yeah 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 that was wow. the first one we kind of build up to it and i think you know that was one of our our goals with like the youtube channel too was like to show the realness to people of what it's mm-hmm. you know like to do this for the first time and we didn't really want to sugarcoat it or hide it we find We've learned a lot from other like YouTube channels, but a lot of them are just like very matter of fact and experts that have been doing it for 20 years. And it's like, what's it like to actually do this for the first time and learn it? And and not only the technical aspects, but the emotions that go with it. And mm-hmm. yeah, taking taking a life like that for the first time was, it's I mean, tough. I thought it was going to be emotional, but it was more emotional than I thought it was going to be. Yeah. So, I'm yeah. oh, sorry, I was going to say, so you guys, you, you killed the turkey and then you, you prepped it to cook. Um, uh, was there a point after which you killed it? Because I mean, killing that turkey is going to be a hard thing to do. Like, like I've grew up, grew up on a farm, and you know, we raised animals, and knowing that they're going to be killed and eaten is actually it, it's it's not a it's not an easy thing, right? Yeah. And uh, so you you have this turkey who's you know you've known for most of its life, and then you you end its life and you eat it. But at what point after killing it did it just become food? You know what I mean? Because 
when when you have the live turkey, it's it's something. It's it's a turkey. It's it's something you have a relationship with. It's not just food. Um, mm-hmm. Did it like even when you're eating it after you roasted it, was it still quite a bit different than say turkey you bought in the store? Did it have a different sort of feeling to it? Or I, I guess I'm just probing into that aspect of things because there's yeah. a real psychological element to that. There, there definitely is. I mean, when you start to raise animals, people will tell you, don't name it, don't get too close, whatever. But when you're seeing them every day and, and they definitely have their own personalities and stuff, um, it's hard not to have some kind of attachment to it. And I think the best way that we could put it or could deal with it was just to really utilize every single piece of the animal, whether it's the feathers, whether it's the blood. We even use blood for the garden. Mm-hmm. Um the carcasses, everything, and just eating as much as you possibly can and and using as much as you possibly can. I think when we used to go to the grocery store and buy like a whole chicken, you'd eat all the good stuff and then let it sit in your fridge for a couple of days and then throw it out and not really think twice. But when you're putting in that much work and you're seeing how much um, there is to utilize, uh, I think it gives a different perspective and it kind of is almost like a better way to thank um, the mm-hmm. animals for, for what they yeah. did. Yeah, I think, yeah, it's definitely given us a whole new like appreciation for our, our food. And yeah, to kind of what touch on what you said, I, I I think whether we butchered or not now, like meat will never just be food. It always like has that connection at this point. And mm-hmm. I think Steph said it perfectly, just trying to like utilize everything we can and, um, it's weird. Like once you've done it, like it's emotional and it's sad, but we actually feel really good about it mm-hmm. knowing that, you know, it wasn't raised in some factory in some two foot by two foot stall. Like it was outside, it was foraging, it had a good life. It was, you know, killed in a humane way and you have a much greater appreciation for it. Yeah. And just, we're excited that we found ways to utilize everything. Like even the guts that most people throw out, go into our crab traps and yep make our own bone meal or we're making broth with it. And so absolutely everything gets used, which is, yeah, you know, not, not what we would, what I would do to be honest, just growing up. I mean, I was thinking about it now, feel guilty. Like what Steph said, like throwing out a half eaten chicken that you just, well, I'll get another one at the grocery store tomorrow. It's yeah. I'd imagine with, with growing and raising your own food, there's a lot less of, a lot less scraping edible food into the garbage at the end of a meal. I mean, I find like with our family, sometimes you don't quite finish and like, ah, oh, we're not going to eat this later. You just, go, and, yeah. you know, it's, it's horrible to say. I know that. But we yeah. do, it. you know, you get a little extra rice in your plate. You don't want to finish. And, you know, again, you, you, you think, well, I'll put it in the fridge, but it spends a week there. And you just delay the throwing out of it. Right. But when yeah. you're, but I'm sure you guys have, are, are definitely a lot more judicious in your use of food. And probably yeah. the way we, we should all be out, I would say. Yeah, I don't think there's a, any <laughs> leftovers usually. <laughs> I don't leave all leftovers, but it's really cool too. Like, we, I think it's kind of rubbing off on a lot of people in the community. So, um, like our our pigs that we keep, we're in. I mean, we say we're we're on the most urban setting you can be on on our on our island. So, like our neighbors' doors are twenty feet away on either side. Um, so we can't have roosters. We can't have hooved animals on our property. Um, so our pigs are actually on a friend's farm, which is on like the main stretch of road. And they've just kind of become like community pigs. And so everyone mm-hmm. keeps their leftovers. They have leftover rice and chicken or whatever. They scrape it into a bucket. And, you know, if I spend the day out there, I probably see about 15, 20 cars pull over and come say hi to the pigs and dump their food in. And, nice. and, you know, people are kind of, kind of looking at things through, through a different lens, I think, which is kind of cool. that's that's huge like there is no better way to honor the animal than to use as much of it as possible and i i did notice that in your turkey video you you uh steph kneeled over top and you took your position and then it was and you'd swapped angles and i noticed there was no blood on the ground so you'd done in there to capture it and i'm like okay that's been used that this is totally that uh, field to table connection and it's it's inspiring and i'm I'm glad that there's there's people that are kind of even if they're not coming out and saying well we're doing this now that you're even considering that thought of being more connected to their food and that some of the best tasting strawberries strawberries i've ever had are the ones from my own garden right you can go out there and pick your own food and put it side by side with uh, something from the store and you'll know the difference on something that's uh, been, been uh, tended to by somebody that actually cares. So it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's great. And 
So while we're on that, what's been your favorite thing to, uh, to grow, harvest, connect to so far? Mm. That's a good question. Yeah. Uh, Couple of favorite. I think, I think for me, it would probably still be the meat. Like I, I don't think I could have ever thought of doing this before. Um, and the level of confidence that comes with being able to do it as sad as it is and as painful mm-hmm. as it is. I think just that confidence is, is so, so incredible. It's something I never thought I could do. And, and now I can. And it's, yeah. I think it's just expanding. I don't know if it's one thing, but like I get excited when we add something new into our diets that we hadn't done before mm-hmm. and things when I started that never even crossed my mind. And, you know, when we butchered our, our first pig during the first year, it was like, couple slabs of bacon and pork chops and a roast and that's what we had and we we're like okay that's you know it was great it was something mm-hmm. new in our diet and then this year it was like well let's do some more like cool stuff that we really like i've never been a huge fan of pork chops so we did you know we made our own homemade sausages we made salami so started curing meats we have a 35 pound prosciutto hanging in the basement and all these other that. things that you, wouldn't, <laughs> that you wouldn't think of that we were like oh yeah let's let's try these new things now and it's like it's cool to think about where we could be in two or three years with like, you know, fruit trees we planted and kiwi vines that are in now and all these sort of other things that'll be, we like, we could really have a really varied diet three years from now with, if we keep kind of going at this pace. So, so is this something you're this lifestyle of self-sufficiency or, or relative self-sufficiency? Is this something you plan on carrying on with indefinitely? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. We've really fallen in love with the lifestyle and, and we've had so much fun learning and doing it. And we feel so much better when we are doing this challenge and our garbage waste is so reduced. Like there's just so many, so many positives that come out of this challenge that I think it would be a shame to not keep going. And we have all the infrastructure now and, um, yeah, it's just kind of become such a mm. cool thing that I don't think we'll ever not do now, it in some capacity. Do you guys have other jobs? Like, what do you what do you do for for money? Yeah. That's busy. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. I work for the like the tourism partnership for the the Gulf Islands. So we're currently we did a pilot project last year and working on um, doing a passenger only water taxi system to connect all of the islands. So that's my kind of full-time job that I do working from home and volunteer on the fire department now as well and, and do that. And Steph's a, a massage therapist. So doing that keeps her busy. And so yeah, it's a lot to balance between, you know, that and mm-hmm. living lifestyle. And I think, you know, people don't always see how much work Steph still does all the editing for the videos. And so filming a video every week, doing all the editing takes a huge amount of time too. So it's, it's definitely go, go, go. Yeah. Editing's tough. I I do that for one campfire for some of our stuff, and did, people are like, "Oh, it's only a minute long video." But yeah, I started with forty five, yeah. <laughs> right? It's yeah, you got to clip in. Oh yeah, and oh, it, yeah. that's no it's, background too, so it's like I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> <laughs> and those are the best videos, right? The ones yeah. that the ones that are not overproduced, where you can see that the person doing it actually cares. Those are the yeah. ones that get your attention, as you can see. Uh, so. I think people, I think people have connected with that. Just to talk on that quickly. It's you know, I think that was one of our goals too, is to kind of keep it a little bit raw. Mm-hmm. And I think for us, like we, you know, even before this, it kind of used YouTube as a resource to learn things, and you know, that's how we learned a lot of these skills. Was you know, how, how do you butcher a chicken? So we go mm-hmm. on there, we Google it, and the top video comes up with two million views, and it's some thirty-year chicken farmer who goes, "This is what you do," and you go, "Doot doot doot." He's done in 15 minutes. You go, okay, that's, I got it. I know what he did. And then you go do it in the first time and you're like, holy shit, that's not how that went at all. And you're like, I just yeah. screwed that up. Exactly. So we try and give like an honest and raw, I think real, real visual of what it's like to do it for the first time mm-hmm. and go through that learning process. Yeah. yeah I'm not really. I'm not really sure how I did anything before YouTube. You know, I, I, I was thinking about that. Like, you know, I did a lot of things and, and fixed a lot of things and was able to to figure things out before YouTube. And now that seems impossible, doesn't it? Because now if you don't understand how to do something, usually just YouTube it and see if somebody else can show you oh, virtually, yeah, right? But it's uh, the internet, yeah. quite the phenomenon now, isn't it? That, that yeah. saved me hours doing vehicle repairs. Remember the old Haynes manuals? Oh, yeah. You had a certain vehicle. You had to go to Napa or Lordco to buy the car. Uh, 
encyclopedia and go, that doesn't look like that. Now there's some guy with a wrench holding a flashlight going, this is what you want to do. And yeah. Oh yeah. It's a different world. I can change the brakes in three minutes. No, you can't. (laughs) That's editing. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, technology's changed things so much and so much so that what you're doing is incredibly unique yet three generations ago, everybody was doing what you're doing. You know, like it's, it's really quite remarkable how our, the uh, urbanization of our society and the, uh, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, differentiation of, of labor has, has really changed us fundamentally. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Just, yeah. How, how disconnected we've got from our food and, you know, three generations, like you said, it's, yeah, my grandparents went through the depression and growing their own food and, and going through those struggles. And it's just something, you know, we've grown up really privileged and never really had to think about. So it, mm-hmm. it's pretty, yeah, it's pretty eye opening to think about how recently mm-hmm. it was just a normal thing that people did, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I know on our farm, we still had, you know, the, the farm equipment plows that were pulled behind draft animals. Yeah. And so my, that's how my grandfather started farming. And when yeah. he ended farming, of course, he was in diesel tractors and combines. And I thought like, you know, if you take somebody, going a bit on a tangent here, but if you took somebody 500 years ago, they could learn something from their grandfather and it'd be exactly the same thing they would teach their grandkid. Nothing really would have changed very much. Mm-hmm. And now it's like, it's impossible to predict the, the uh, you know, the, the way things are going to change with technology mm-hmm. and society. But I think what you guys are doing, the beauty of it is, uh, and I, it is the, demonstration of that connection with the land and how important that is. And I think that for a lot of people, despite all the benefits of our modern world, uh, do feel a little bit purposeless. Mm-hmm. And I think, I mean, I, and I could be misreading this, but it, it seems to me that you guys have really found something that, that fills you with, with a really profound sense of purpose. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And just more of a sense of control too. You know, we're not at the whim of things. If food mm-hmm. prices for whatever reason, like there's more floods in the interior or a war in Ukraine and all these things. Like we feel a lot more protected going, okay, well prices shoot up for a month. We just won't buy anything for a month. Yeah. Like, and, and we can do that now. So it's, yeah, mm-hmm. you feel a lot more, a lot more in control, I would say too. Yeah. 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 That's a big part of it. I'd imagine it's, it's something most people take for granted, as you said, right? How many people walk into a grocery store and just go that chicken's on sale. And there's, there's no meaning to it, right? There's, it's, it's wrapped in plastic. They come home, they open it up, they cook it and they're done. Right. Yeah. It's, it's, it's the same with hunting, right? Uh, you go out and you, you take a grouse or a moose or whatever. And there's, even though you don't know the animal the way a farmer or a rancher would, you still connect with that animal because you're there from field to table. Right. Yeah. And every time I open my freezer and go, okay, well, I'm going to take a pack of moose out or whatever, uh, I can remember that hunt where it was and have a, a similar sort of connection. And that sense of reliance is huge. When mm-hmm. COVID hit, it was okay. Well, we're okay. We can, we can exist yeah. for months on the meat that I've got in the freezer and mm-hmm. watching potatoes at Costco go from what, four or five bucks for 10 pounds to nine, 10 bucks for the same in, in a year. It's, yeah. it's nuts. And yeah, it, that's, once, once this ground stops being temperamental out here and I'm going to start planting some, we, we got like six inches of snow last week. It's, oh, oh, it's unseasonable, but yeah. uh, yeah, we, we got moose though. You guys don't have those. So you, yeah. you, you guys got fallow deer though, don't you down there? Yeah, yeah. we got a lot of deer. So they don't look very good. Yeah. There's a lot of inbreeding. Pe- pe- people do hunt them, but yeah, there's a lot of inbreeding. A lot of them are kind of yeah. diseased because there's no predators on the island. So. Right. Yeah. And that's, again, shows the importance of, of, uh, literally take- walk up to them and they'll eat out of your hand. Like <laughs> really? it's, it can be hard. <laughs> wow. Yeah. yeah. Humans are a predator, right? Yeah. <laughs> totally. We, we, uh, we have an impact on the landscape, right? No matter what. So we, we need to manage accordingly, whether it's potatoes, raspberries or deer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so what do you miss? What special treats, what cravings do you have? Um, I imagine you had cravings bad for the first month. Yeah. yeah. Mine, mine was definitely coffee. Okay. Yeah. That was a one. So we made, made some substitutes with like dandelion roots and chicory and things like that, but it doesn't have the caffeine. So you can kind of trick your mind a little bit having a hot beverage in the morning. <laughs> taste like coffee, but uh, 
Yeah. Yeah. Coffee was still a tough one for me for sure. Yeah. Oh, there's so many things I miss. I think (laughs) so much cooking. I miss like just having a glass of wine while cooking. I think that's kind of like would make things a lot easier if I was just sips of wine, <laughs> cook some food, do the dishes. That be fun. <laughs> well, it's like like Homer Simpson says, alcohol is the cause of and solution to all of life's problems. Yeah, <laughs> well, you're warm enough down there to grow grapes. Yeah. yeah so yeah. We, we planted some grapes. The first year we made uh, some, what do we got? Like three bottles of wine that definitely, definitely weren't winning any awards, but uh, <laughs> we had a fun, fun night. Yeah. Fun night. <laughs> <laughs> you don't seem so sure, Steph. <laughs> it, it only lasted a night, three bottles. Yeah. <laughs> oh. We're, like, oh, we're gonna let's make the most of it. Let's make the most yeah. of so, it. So fun, fun night, terrible morning. Yeah. yeah. Pretty much. Pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> we'll do some apple cider this year because yeah, there's, there's so many apples so many. on the island. So yeah, definitely plan to make some cider this year. Right. Yeah. I, I guess. Do you guys have somebody who does crushing? Like, does the juicing? Um, there's actually like the people on the island have been so helpful. So there was a friend of ours the other day who said, uh, you know, we've got this apple press for making cider. Do you want it? So we said, yep. And so there's, it seems like every week someone's reaching out to see if we're doing this or need yeah. help with this equipment or you can borrow this if you need it. Or, mm-hmm. you know, there's uh, a band apple orchard next to our house, come and pick all the apples. So yeah. yeah, there's been lots of stuff like that where people have been really, really helpful. Yeah. I, that That's that community that you guys have. There's probably really amenable to your lifestyle because it is a small like tight-knit island yeah. right so yeah 100 that's awesome so video three the boat oh, <laughs> is that a touchy subject still yeah uh, yeah yeah i don't know if i'm still over it but uh, yeah i think just because we were starting off like the reason the first year we started in august was to time it with the Chinook salmon run and, and do that. And that was going to be a big staple of it. And I think like one of my selling points to staff, like our chickens weren't going to be laying eggs for four or five months. None of our meat birds were ready. We didn't have pigs at that point. So like one of my big selling points was like, Hey, we have the ocean. We're going to go catch fish. We'll have crabs. We'll have prawns. We'll have this, we'll have that. And then yeah, week, week two or three, the boat breaks down and we're like, Oh, and I, I was just worried that, well, A, I was worried for our food source, but I also was worried that was going to be like a tipping point for staff being like, <laughs> this is what you sold me on. Now we don't have this. It was close. Yeah. Well, oh, and being broken out. down in there, that's that's a major channel too, right? Yeah. It was just was outside of Active Pass. Oh, right? yeah. Yeah. And they're like, oh my gosh, this is it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so did that make you want to quit or motivate you? I think motivate, I don't think we felt like we wanted to quit. Cause I mean, the boat breaks down quite a bit. It happens. Yeah. yeah. If you have oh, a boat, yeah. we always do. Yeah. Oh so. yeah. Boat stands yeah. for breakout another thousand, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. So we knew that it was going to get fixed and it was going to get back in the water. We might've missed some opportunities, but um, I think it just, motivated so we just yeah, us. we just yeah. pivoted. And I think that was like a first real challenge for us. It was good. And, and, you know, relationship wise and with our challenge wise, just be like, Hey, this happened. Let's figure out what we can do instead and how to make it work. And, mm-hmm. and yeah, made, made it happen. So. Oh yeah. I've, I've so of boats, they, they suck, but you love them. Yeah. You lo- yeah. I can't help it. Can you? Yeah. So the, uh, where you guys are, is the ocean generally fairly dependable as long as things are in season for getting food? Has it been something you guys can go out and pretty much always bring back a meal? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Well, I think seaweed, like, Kelp is really nutritious, so kelp is, you know, a guaranteed meal whenever we want it. And crab, I would say, is pretty much guaranteed. Yeah. Um, prawns can be hit or miss, but, um, yeah, fish when they're in season, especially lingcod. Salmon can be hit or miss, mm-hmm. depending on their runs. And they've closed off the major run through here for the killer whales uh, the last couple of years. So that's made the salmon fishing a little bit more difficult. But, uh, yeah, we know we can always get something from the ocean for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm envious of that. I love to fish, and uh, I, I have fantasized about having a little cabin on the edge of the ocean and just living off the sea as much as possible. It's probably the, the romance that might uh, erode fairly quickly with the reality, but uh, it, it is quite the, – the concept is very appealing. Yeah, yeah, it sure is. That's actually – we've been talking about that a lot. We find our next video coming out later today is actually that, what it's like to live on an ocean homestead. So yeah. we kind of – 
do our morning land chores and feed all the animals and then head out on a boat for a full day to kind of show people what that, what's that, uh, what that is like. Awesome. Um, I think we have a lot of homesteaders that follow us that are, you know, a lot of them are landlocked and, and not on the ocean. So it'll be a kind of a, a unique perspective on, on the homesteading front. Well, when do you head up this way, JP, for your ocean trip? Uh, heading to Kitimat the first three days of August. I'm, uh, <clears throat> my son is 15. We're, uh, We've booked a three-day uh, fishing trip out of Kitimat on a liveaboard, twenty-seven foot long liveaboard. Nice. So, uh, yeah, well, you know, we hit all the, you know, the salmon and the halibut and cod and rockfish and all the normal, you know, crab and prawn and stuff like that. So, I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. It's a, the only real saltwater fishing I've done has been in the tropics. I've, you know, on tropical holidays, I've, you know, book a, you know, six hours in a boat and catch whatever. Yeah. But uh, this is a bucket list trip for me, and uh, the. Uh, yeah, I mean, I've done lots of salmon fishing in rivers, but the I, I love being out in the water. I have a boat, and I'm actually heading out fishing this weekend. I have a cabin a couple hours from my house here, and uh, I spent uh, about a month at sea when I worked for Fisheries and Oceans on it. another work term when I did my biology degree. So I love it, and I'm just I I'm more stoked about that than probably any of my plans for the next year. Aww, nice. that's fun. Awesome. That's so awesome. <laughs> it was just frustrating though, because I definitely missed out on on you know some of the main fun parts of fishing. So I've got a a buddy who has a boat uh, who lives on the island over from us on Main Island. Yeah, so, you know, he'd come pick me up and we go out salmon fishing for the day and hour in, he cracks his first beer, and I'm like, ah, I got my freaking soda water that I'm having, and then he breaks out his sandwich and bag of chips, and I got like my apple slices. And I'm like, ah. <laughs> It's not a It's just something to be said about cracking a beer when you're out fishing, whether or not you're catching anything. At least you can be catching a buzz, right? Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> <Totally>. <laughs> so what's been your favorite video to film and why? Mm. Oh, favorite video. I really like the one that's coming out today, to be honest. I was going to say that too. Yeah, being out on the water and think- showing people a different perspective and – yeah, I think that and some of our property tours, just because we kind of go through every little piece of what we're doing. And and that's where we get so much feedback and so many people giving us like tips and tricks and what to grow in places that we never even thought of on our property. And, and um, yeah, just different ideas that we would never think of and, and putting it out there and letting people know what we're up to, I think. Those have been really fun to do, and we're looking forward to doing one in this summer, midsummer, mm-hmm. and, and showing the progress. There's been so many projects this year, so they do that. Always projects, always yeah. projects, never, so never how, ending. How big's your property? Uh it's 0.43 acres, which is, I mean, again, sounds spoiled to say this with how expensive land and homes are these days, but it's not big homesteading wise when you're providing mm-hmm. all of your own food. So it's that's been part of a challenge and, you know, being in a bit more of a road area, a lot of it's wooded and we really didn't want to cut down all of our trees to put in, you know, a big field essentially. So yeah. we've really worked hard to find things that will do okay in shade and, you know, put in little mushroom boxes on the shady side of the house and, and done kind of unique things like that to, to cram in as much as we can in, in the space. Yeah. JP, did you see uh, the, the oyster mushrooms in a bucket coming out of the holes? I did. Uh, yeah. That, uh, yeah, I, I've often thought about cultivating mushrooms. It's if several people in my area do that, uh, I, I love hunting for them so much. Though I haven't haven't made the switch to to the uh, cultivation of them. But man, the, you guys look like you figured that out. Yeah, yeah. Again, that was kind of one of the ones on the west coast here, where there rain and damp weather. Mm-hmm. It's um, you know mushrooms obviously do well, so um, that was definitely something we wanted to to include in our diet for a little variety too. Oh, that's I. I'm not a like I'm a complete mushroom idiot, like I said, and I'm like, oh, you can grow them in a bucket. You can get yeah. a, you can get kits. Maybe that'll be the first time I find an edible mushroom that I'm, I'm yeah. comfortable eating. <laughs> you know what it is, yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So we're rolling into year two for you guys. It's wasn't just a one year project. No. So uh, we did one year and then uh, had a little bit of a break and indulged in some of the things that mm-hmm. we we missed, which was which was nice to be honest. And um, yeah, I think like we touched on earlier, you know, going back into the grocery store and seeing the, you know, the price of food jump up and, you know, I think the war in Ukraine and gas prices are only going to continue to increase that over the next little bit. So a, it kind of put things in perspective for a bit of us as well. And then health wise, 
um, wanted to get back to it. So I think now the goal is to find a bit of a balance um, to make it like a long-term thing and not quite so demanding. So like we said, this year we have our, our cheat item, which is flour mm-hmm. uh, and doing cheat days on our birthdays and two weddings that we're going to. So we get four cheat days this year. So just so we're totally not cut off from friends and fun things. You don't want to right. go to a wedding and bring your own seaweed salad, you know, <laughs> whip that out. So it's, uh, it's just finding that balance now while we're still self-sufficient. And if it came to it, we'd still be totally fine. But finding that kind of life balance with socializing and family and friends and, and doing that. Yeah, so- it, was, it was super easy during COVID when no one was really getting together or doing mm-hmm. anything. So mm-hmm. I think that kind of helped a lot. But now this year when things are going back full force and all the weddings are kind of being caught up on and um, family gatherings and that kind of stuff. We kind of had to make a couple, couple allowances for that sort of thing. So you, you've included flour into your diet again. Why not coffee? I'm curious about that one. <laughs> oh, it was a tough decision. That was a tough decision. It was really hard choosing. We kind of went back and forth, but I think flour is just so diverse with stuff. So, you know, we've got a sourdough starter going now. So we'll be able to bake bread which is a big thing, you know, just having something more normal, like a ham sandwich when you want one is yeah. um, lunches and things like that. And, and just so diverse. We had Yorkshire puddings last night mm-hmm. and things like that. So all the baking and stuff that you can do and modify and making flatbreads and tortillas and all those sort of things that we can do now is uh, yeah. Just the versatility of it, I think was the main reason. Yeah. Oh, that, Fair enough. Yeah. Makes a lot of sense. I'm, I'm not a coffee drinker, so I wouldn't miss coffee but I could f- totally get you on the flour. That'd be like, what? No bread, no carbs. I'm a tea drinker. I, I actually, I have, I have a low carb diet. In fact, I've gone full keto for fairly long stretches at a, at a time just cause I, I do better. I feel better. Yeah. Um, but caffeine, that would be tough. Cause I have a tea or two every single morning. And if I don't, I get such a headache. Cause I'm, a, I'm yeah. obviously addicted to it. Right. But uh, yeah, that would probably be hard for me to, to get to, to do without I, I don't know that'd be a struggle yeah i mean we grow a lot of stuff for our own teas now but um yeah like you said with the headaches when we the first year the first three weeks was such like a shift to the system with like your energy levels and you know normally have a bit of a crash in the afternoon so you have another coffee and mm-hmm. but cutting out caffeine sugar gluten. gluten all that stuff all in the same day cold turkey our energy levels were yeah you kind of feel like you have the flu for a little while yeah, yeah and yeah. just like no energy and and lethargic and going through that and then after yeah probably about three weeks like we found we just feel so much better and our energy levels are just like consistent throughout the day i found i was sleeping better and falling asleep easier and and without mm-hmm. those kind of peaks and valleys it, it just really leveled out yeah definitely <laughs> so coming up on an hour gonna be respectful of your time this has been amazing so to close it off what advice do you have for anybody looking to do something similar? Yeah, I think um, don't run. Yeah. <laughs> That's kind of what we tell people sometimes. Yeah, honest, I I always say like, don't do what we did. <laughs> <laughs> Take it bit by bit, or f- find what you enjoy doing. Unless, I mean, you really want to go wild go and it. do what we're doing, but um, find out what you like to eat and grow that. I think is like my biggest advice because there's no sense in growing broccoli if you hate broccoli or, or growing kale if you never eat kale. But if you love strawberries or it, you love fruit or something, start there. And, and the confidence you get from that is just, it'll make you want to do the next thing and the next thing. And yeah. Yeah. I think just build on it. You know, like when we, we were very fortunate when we started, well, unfortunate, I guess we were out of work when we started during COVID. Um, so, you know, we had full-time effort to put into this for the first four months of building infrastructure and and doing it and really doing that but i think for most people yeah just start picking things off and you know get a couple chickens and once you've kind of got your infrastructure down and if you enjoyed that then add in turkeys and then add on the next thing and just continue to build on what you can do and um you know we've been asked that question from you know we've done newspaper articles in vancouver where people are living in a city and it's also like there's so many things that are edible out there that you wouldn't think about that you don't need to have a huge property for, whether it's going out and foraging for mushrooms or, you know, West coast of BC, there's salal bushes everywhere and the berries are great. They used to actually sell salal berries in the grocery store, oh. but because they're not a trendy thing that's marketed and, and done there, you know, they're not thought of as food anymore. And 
eating dandelions and mm-hmm. stinging, um, stinging nettle, making yeah. pest stems and cooking with that. And there's all these things that are all around you that you just don't think of as food because they're not marketed to you on TV and in the grocery stores that are perfectly edible and most of the time pretty tasty. That's so do you guys get a lot of people inquiring about your lifestyle and th- that want to do it or, or adopt some part of it? For yeah, sure. Yeah. yeah. I think we've gotten quite a few messages saying like this kind of inspired me to start thinking more about like where my food comes from or what I can do. And I think that's like something that we never really imagined would come from this. We started the YouTube and all that kind of stuff just to hold ourselves accountable and kind of show our um, parents like, Hey, we're not like starving ourselves. Like <laughs> This is, this is our daily life. Um, but to see that like it's resonated with so many people and so many people have taken bits and parts of uh, what we've done and kind of done their own thing, I think has like really just inspired us to keep going and, mm-hmm. and, and put it out there even more. And totally. we're amateurs. So if we can do it, anyone. Can. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a big jump to, to realize that this is something you want to do. And then it's, unbelievably fulfilling to to actually realize you can do it yeah it really is yeah. yeah so for anybody that wants to figure out more about you guys where do they go to find that out yeah we're on all all the social media things so our main one's obviously youtube uh at loving off the land l-o-v-i-n and also on facebook and instagram as well kind of do daily photo updates and what's kind of going on and then yeah weekly videos on youtube so Loving off the land, you Google out or put in any social media, you can find us and follow along with our second year journey. Awesome. Thanks, Chris, Steph. You guys have a great day. Thanks Thank for having you us. Thank you so much. Thank you.